0: Abraham doesn't sleep well. He has too many dreams. Dreams that make him unsettled in bed and restless on his feet. And it seems to get worse the older he gets. His wife Sarah just laughs at him. She always laughs at things she doesn't believe in, like dreams meaning something. A god starts to intrude on Abraham's dreams. He has never heard of this God, not one of the gods of Haran, not on the list his father, the idol distributor, used to keep on the wall behind his desk. This God makes heavy demands and huge promises. and Abraham feels compelled to respond to the demands and trust the promises. And one day, he gives most of his possessions away, gathers the essentials, his immediate family, Sarah, of course, who isn't laughing, and sets off for he knows not where. He gets discouraged along the way, but anytime he's down, there's always a dream and the promise that he will be the father of a great nation with more descendants than there are stars in the sky. How? Sarah's too old to bear children and Abraham wasn't able to plant any seeds even when he and Sarah were young. So Sarah offers Abraham one of her household servants, Hagar. If the old man's so sure he will be a father, well, let's see what happens. And before long, Hagar is pregnant. A son, Ishmael, is born. And Abraham loves him so much. But Sarah... There's another dream, a waking dream, a vision, and Sarah catches it too, another promise that Sarah will have a baby after all. And she laughs and laughs at that, and one night it happens, miracle of miracles. And as Sarah's belly grows, her patience with Abraham, Hagar, and Isaac starts to run out or Abraham, Hagar, and Ishmael. Her patient starts to run out when her son is born. They name him Isaac. And Isaac means the son of laughter. Isaac is the proof Sarah has that Abraham's God is real, and God's promise will come true. Ishmael stands in their way, her way. Sarah will be the mother of a nation So Sarah tells Abraham, the boy and his mother must go. And the dream voice comes again and tells Abraham to do it. God will take care of Hagar and Ishmael. Eventually. And after some hardship, indeed, Ishmael grows up to do very well and be the father of a nation of his own. But this is Israel's story, and it all depends on Isaac now, Abraham still can't rest. He has lost one son. He can never forget Ishmael or forgive himself for sending him off. What if something happens to Isaac? And there's another dream, this time a nightmare. The voice speaks the same words he spoke when the first call came. Get up and go to a place where I will show you. This time take your son, your only son, And this is no fishing trip, no father-son outing. This isn't a pilgrimage or a vision quest. Take your son, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. What? First, the voice, this still unfamiliar God, tells him it's okay to throw Ishmael away. Now this, it's enough to make a person wake up from a nightmare screaming. But not Abraham in his dream state. He leaves his camp and heads off toward the mountains of Moriah. He does as he's told. He takes Isaac up the mountain. The voice is silent. He prepares the altar. The voice is silent. He picks up his son, whom he loves. The voice is silent. He lays Isaac so gently on the dry wood, still not a sound. Until Abraham takes the knife in his shaky hands, gnarled and knotted by age and arthritis, and he raises that knife, he hesitates, hoping against hope that God will take him and not Isaac, his eyes are closed, but his aim is true because he has sacrificed goats and sheep many times. Let this be then his last sacrifice of himself. And as his hands begin to falter, then the voice comes. Then. Oh, this has all been a test. A test? That's enough to kill an old man. But Abraham lives. When Abraham wakes up and tells Sarah about the dream, what his God asked him to do, the horror of it all, Sarah can't hear her husband's reassuring words. It was just a dream, and in the end there was assurance God provides, God will always provide. Sarah doesn't live much longer. The old storytellers say she starts to die then, And the fact it was all a dream doesn't save her. Abraham, on the other hand, lives on with a renewed promise, a new wife and a whole van load of kids. And when he finally leaves this world, Ishmael and Isaac carry him in their arms together to his grave. I have to admit I'm not sure what to make of this story of a sadistic god and a crazy old man God abuses Abraham by putting him to a cruel test, and Abraham abuses his own son in the name of his new religion. So the only way I can accept this story as somehow sacred, some kind of scripture, is to read it as a dream, a nightmare. There's a version of this story in the Quran. It's all about Abraham and Ishmael. But the story unfolds in a very similar way, and one reading of it, one Islamic reading of it, is that Abraham misunderstands a dream and sets out to sacrifice Ishmael until a message from heaven sets him straight. I'm a little okay with that. The usual Christian interpretation is that it's really all about Jesus. Jesus is the ram with his horns tangled up in a bush. Abraham offers the ram instead of Isaac. But Father God goes ahead and sacrifices his own son centuries later. I'm not okay with that. This is a Hebrew story, so I looked into some Jewish interpretations of it, and some say it is a story about a test of Abraham's faith. God tests Abraham to the max because he's Abraham, the father of all Jewish people. And faithful people, they say, faithful people are always running into tests and challenges, but thank God nothing like this test. And many agree that this test points forward through the whole history of Israel, through all its struggles, through all its difficulties to the Holocaust of the 20th century, and they say Isaac has been sacrificed many times, yet somehow the people survive, and God provides. And some scholars say simply that this story was first told to remind Jews when their religion was still young, that people who worship the God of Israel don't sacrifice children, not like the neighbors do. people who follow Israel's God don't sacrifice human beings at all. Whatever it means, this is one of the most important stories about Abraham, and it's there every day in traditional Jewish morning prayers. Our Muslim neighbors, the Urabi family among them, recently celebrated what's sometimes called Big Eid, celebrating their version of the story and remembering that Abraham didn't sacrifice his son. So what can we do with this story today? Well, first, just because we're Christians, we don't have to stuff Jesus into it to make meaning from it. We do that a lot when we don't understand parts of the Old Testament. A Christian philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, wrote about this story a long time ago, and he found in the story a disturbing idea that ethics and religion are two different things. At least sometimes religion, what we believe and do together because we believe what we believe, calls us to do things that are, by our best human lights, unethical just plain wrong. He coined a term for such times, the the, the teleological suspension of the ethical. There. Now, it's been a while since I've given you a great hairy theological term to chew over and try to remember at lunch on Sunday. There it is, the teleological suspension of the ethical. So, parents and grandparents... The next time one of the kids wants to do something that you know is wrong, and they should, they should know is wrong, but they say everyone's doing it, don't say, well, if everyone was jumping off a bridge, would you do it too? Say, this is not a time for the teleological suspension of the ethical. That'll stop them right away. Or the next time someone, next time you're trying to make a left turn and someone darts out to start walking across the street when the orange countdown is running out, roll down your window and shout, hey, I don't care where you're going, but it's not important enough for a teleological suspension of the ethical. That will really confuse them. Teleological means with an end in view for a purpose, and that there can be, at times, a purpose even greater than the good. When Hitler and the Nazis went to work trying to rid their world of Jews and gypsies and homosexuals and people of mixed race and the mentally challenged and on and on, many Christians in Europe agreed and cooperated. Many others remained silent And after the war, they said they had to look out for themselves and their families. They had no choice. And yet, thousands of Christians in Europe chose to risk their own lives and the lives of their families, entire communities, congregations risking together, risking sacrifice to take people in and protect them. Whether they were neighbors or strangers didn't matter. Many of those Christians survived. Many were executed along with the people they had sheltered. They sacrificed themselves and often their families because they believed. Every night a team of Christians and friends walks the streets of downtown Toronto looking for women in the sex trade. And they don't preach law or gospel to the women. They leave them alone if they don't want to talk. They don't run and call the police to come and scare the women off the streets. I think most people would agree that what they do is unethical. They're not righting a wrong. They're allowing the women to keep working for a while, at least, risking their health and their lives. But apparently some Presbyterians in Toronto aren't concerned about ethics, at least in the case of Reverend Deborah Poor and Arise Ministry. And answering God's call so far, Arise has made a significant difference in the lives of a few women, and they have helped more to take the first steps away from one life toward a better life. Mostly though, they offer friendship, Comfort, conversation, a little break in a long night, a spark of hope, and a sign that somebody still believes they are real people. They take a risk. Pimps, Johns, and some of the women don't like what they do, but there's a reason they do it. They believe. Despite what the Genesis storytellers say, God doesn't test our faith. But it also seems God doesn't rescue us from every circumstance that tests and stretches our faith. But God can, and sometimes does, call us to do things that our guts and our neighbors might tell us are wrong. And sometimes we have to reevaluate our own sense of what's ethical in order to serve God and God's people. Abraham's dream, and I still believe it's a dream all the way through, challenges him to imagine this God he's still getting to know could call him to sacrifice everything. Then he wakes up and remembers that the God who calls him always provides and will never leave him alone.